What is good, everyone? This is your host, Deanna Radulescu with Label Free Podcast. To live your best life, you must live label free. As always, bring incredible guests from all over the world. So sit back, relax, and tune in. My next guest is a physician, a scientist, author, inventor with multiple patents on human and veterinary, veterinary medicines and devices. He's an entrepreneur, insp- inspirational speaker, and so much more. Please welcome Dr. Ravi Ayer. Dr. Ravi, welcome to the show. Hi, Diana. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Like, that is, it's hard enough, I feel like, for someone to get their doctorate to become a doctor. But then you added all these other things onto your, I, I call them like your, not like your labels, but your title, like your, what you, your expertise. And so you are just like totally type A, totally driven. Can you kind of like give us an idea or just kind of give us a backstory on why doing all these things are so important to you? Well, um, my focus all my life, right from childhood, was I've been fascinated with life, what makes life tick. Uh, And uh, I, even as a child, I used to be intrigued by... uh, the zebra fish, by frogs, by nature. Yeah. And I would go and I, I would go and you know explore the muddy ponds behind my house and so on and so forth. But the as I went on in high school, it became clear to me that that is what I wanted to be as a physician. And it, there were some key elements in between that really bothered me a lot. Uh, I had a a nephew who was very young, he had my, my same last name, uh, my, my same first name, Ravi. Uh, but he was born with a, a heart defect, with uh, what is known as Fallot's tetralogy, very common heart defect. And uh, he passed away at the age of six as complications after, you know, he had several uh, cardiac surgeries, but the last one was really difficult and uh, he couldn't survive it. Uh, and uh, I was close to that boy. Uh, I was, he was six years old. I was more like 14. And uh, I, that was pretty much when I decided that I'm going to be a physician. When yeah. uh, I, I, one thing led to another, I decided that I would be a physician. And then I, I started uh, focusing more and more on the biological aspects. Uh, then along the way, you know, how every life has light and dark. Yeah. Um, you, you really, uh, for a passion to catch fire, you need a little bit of ignition. You need a little bit of challenge. You need a little bit of uh, something that is traumatic enough to to wake you up, but not so traumatic as to kill you. Yeah. Um, and uh, you need to have that. And that came by way of my dad, um, who, uh, who was a very, um, you know, Midwestern kind of ethic, uh, where the praise was sparse and the, uh, the, the comparison or the criticism was, was sharp. Uh, and uh, in an effort to kind of drive myself to, to become worthy of his praise, I I started working harder and harder and harder. Yeah, it's it's a long story, but but that pretty much drove me for the next fifty years or so, uh, all through my life. 
and then after a certain point, it became a habit. It no longer became about getting his praise. It became about becoming who I am. But but at that critical phase between the age of 14 till around the age of 22, it was very much about getting my parent, my father's approval uh, and recognition. Do you think that is mainly because you're male or because of your culture? Uh, it was it was more because um, my personality was different than my dad. Okay. So my dad's personality resonated more with my brother. I gotcha. Okay. So he could very easily see and identify with the choices that my brother made. And it was harder for him to identify the choices I made. Yeah. So so coupled with that was his enormous affection for both his children. So that would manifest as concern that I would actually not do well. I gotcha. Okay. But, so he became overprotective. And when he became overprotective, I did not see that as a plus. I saw that as I was not good enough yeah. that he had to steer me all the time and I rebelled against it. If I had been a more uh, pliant person, more compliant person, I would not have rebelled. But I, being more independent, uh, was making choices not consistent with what he would have liked, but at the same time insisting on going my own way. So all of that led to a, a unique mixture of uh, almost of a of a conflicted love relationship which drove me for about the remainder of my life. I love it. Well, I mean, hey, either way, it got you there. You're there now, and you've done yes. amazing things. So you're a doctor, and you've been um, involved with vaccine development and um, drug reg regulation research, and you've like you're an entrepreneur. I mean, I like you've got all these different things, and so now you just came out with a book, The Reaper's Dance, which is fascinating. So kind of, can you tell us like exactly like, I mean, you're going, like you are just like going light speed into all these different areas where you have this incredible knowledge and expertise. And I know you, we were talking about like kind of the direction you wanted to take this conversation. What is your, what is your um, motivation now that you want people to really know and, and how you want to help the world? See, the very early on, I became fascinated by way by what life works, uh, what makes life work, and when life doesn't work, how do you make it work? But very early on, I started realizing that the real business of life is to empower people. There's no other purpose for life. And in this process, you empower yourself by empowering people. Um, once I understood that. I understood that when I was somewhere in my uh, medical school, in the, halfway through medical school. I started focusing less and less about what rewards I got in terms of recognition and more and more on actually the patient in front of me, the person in front of me. Yeah. And that was the beginning of a shift that carried throughout. So, so I started by, you know, initially I was training myself as a physician and I got my training as a physician. But then when I finished my training in India as a physician, I found 
myself very frustrated because I would see these patients with tuberculosis and leprosy and other infectious diseases, and we would not have the right amount of treatment uh, modality. So I could diagnose it, but I could not treat it. And I got frustrated with that. So I said, you know what, I'm going to actually uh, do get into research. I want to find out why is it that we can't fix these problems. Yeah. So rather than just sit back and frustrate, my natural instinct was, okay, I'm going to jump ship and go into research. And I went and did my doctoral degree in biochemistry. Wow. And, and molecular biology. When I did that, so when I did that, I started getting into vaccine technology. The lab in which I was working was involved with, with both tuberculosis vaccines, trying to develop vaccines for tuberculosis and also vaccine for malaria. And right now, just about two weeks ago, the WHO announced the a successful vaccine for malaria that produces a 13% drop. Um, I, I was not involved with that, but but it, it was extremely validating for me to read that piece of news and to know that you know this little part of my past is now a reality for so many millions of people. So so that's uh, so that's how it happened from there. From there, that brought me to a point where I got offered a postdoctoral fellowship as a research fellow in medicine at Harvard. And I came to Harvard as a postdoctoral fellow, uh, doing an extension of the work that I had done uh, doing my doctoral work. And that that produced a small uh, progress in publications and stuff. And then I ended up getting a Young Investigator Award that brought me to Washington, D.C., uh, to present my work, and over there I met uh, the uh, program director for George Washington Medical Center, and he offered me a residency position. Wow. And then, so each thing dovetailed into the next phase, almost as if there was some ex uh, higher power pushing you down a path, and it it was almost. Um, almost intuitive the the way it went. And each time there was no regret moving away from the previous story to a new story because the common thread all throughout was empowering people. Yeah. So because the common thread was the same, I had no regret moving from one phase to another. I never felt, oh my God, I, I have to start again. I It was never a question of starting again. It was only a question of, oh, this is a new method of how to empower people. This is a new way to do what I did before. So each one was a new tool in my toolbox. And then as I went on from there, at one day um, in 2007, my mom was visiting me and she could not sleep in the night because her, her leg was hurting from arthritis and she could not tolerate ibuprofen because it would tear her stomach up. So because I had all this chemistry background, my biochemistry background, I concocted a liniment uh, in my kitchen that helped her. So that became the Dr. Ayers Myorab, and that went on and got an FDA uh, uh, certification for as an OTC drug, and it became got a patent on that. It became popular in the clinic. And out of that arose a company called Active Power. Yes. And then... Uh, uh, my dog injured its its uh, leg one day, strained a muscle, and I used the same liniment I was using in, on my mom. I dropped it on my dog. My dog felt better. 
So then I took that liniment, modified it, and made a dog version of it, and that brought out a veterinary medicine. So in this way, one thing led to another, and it was this constant thing about empowering life. It doesn't matter whether it was a human life or it was a animal life. It doesn't matter. It was empowering life to be better than what it could be before. And that was what drove me right through into the pandemic. And in the pandemic, uh, when the clinics were closing down, we said, no, we are not going to close down. We're going to keep open and we are going to find a way to empower people to, to uh, survive through this and show them how to live it. And, and we became the busiest clinic uh, during the pandemic, uh, doing testing inside and outside of the parking lot for all Northern Virginia started doing house calls on COVID patients, stuff that people would not believe could be done. And at the end of the pandemic, I had a conversation on Thanksgiving of November 22nd of 2022. And we were talking about how this divisive rhetoric where people were thinking of us versus them uh, was contaminating the conversation of the world around us. And I said, you know what, somebody needs to write the story of the pandemic because people will forget. And, you know, the story of the pandemic needs to be written in a way that the lessons are not forgotten. So I started writing and that brought out the book. So that's your whole story. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a lot to it. And I'm sure we could get deeper into each one of those avenues. But um, what are you hoping people get from the Reaper's Dance? Life is meant to be lived. And you live life only when you live in the experience of life and not get caught up in the story of life. At every point, when you get an experience, your mind automatically concocts a story about it. Yeah. It concocts a judgment about it. The judgment has elements of what you think about yourself, what you think about other people. But the judgment and the, and the narrative is only a an approximation of reality. It is not an accurate representation of reality. If you remain focused on the experience of life, you can see that the narrative that pops up first in your head is not necessarily the correct narrative. Yeah, It is not necessarily the empowering narrative. Usually the first narratives that bump up are usually disempowering narratives. They're usually narratives of fear, of self-doubt, of, of inability or disability. If you stay in the experience long enough, you can start seeing that you don't have to get suckered into that narrative. You can actually craft a narrative. You can pick and choose which narrative comes out. And if you stay focused on a principle that life is only for empowerment, then you can make powerful narratives and you can really, really make a difference in people's lives and in that process be a part of a different story, one that you craft rather than it's crafted for you. Yeah. And that is in essence what the Reaper's Dance is all about. How do you live life even when death is staring in the face, when the face of a pandemic that swallowed 25 million lives, how do you live life when you can walk through the mall, never knowing whether which breath is going to bring a toxic virus into you. Yet, how can you live life powerfully in the face of death, yeah. in the face of your own mortality? 
that in essence is what the reaper's dance is all about mm -hmm. but that is actually a, a capsule of what my life has has been about yeah this is what life needs to be for everyone it is possible no matter where you go yeah i so do you think so when you are staying open and you are helping people move through that move through the pandemic in in whatever way you're whatever modalities you're helping them with were you um, how popular were you with your other with your peers because it was a very very interesting time for doctors nurses for everyone <laughs> you laugh at that question do you not want to answer <laughs> no i'll answer it i'll answer it um it was mixed bag mixed bag. um yeah the um during on march and april the first two months of the pandemic i had a lot of opposition a lot of fear um yeah. and a lot of self doubt and people who uh, said that i was going putting the clinic in danger putting uh, we would have to shut down we would get sick um, uh, and uh, i had to hold my ground despite all that uh, yeah but then what happened was uh, then my closest colleagues saw the value of what i was doing and they also jumped on board and then we the three of us were moving locked step uh, forward and we were becoming very very successful and our because other doctor practices all around were started closing because they did not understand how to remain open and be successful in the midst of a pandemic yeah they were having to shut doors and our clinic being open not just mine myself as well as my fellow uh, colleagues clinic uh, i showed them how to do it and we were open so our volume of patients uh, escalated fourfold oh for sure now, each doctor was seeing 100 patients a day um that was phenomenal amount so that brought up in the months of uh, may june july and august it brought up a lot of resentment among the rest of the physician community because um you know they were upset that we were able to do well well yes they weren't i uh, the, the problem was that i never hid how we did it they just didn't want to do it right uh, i in fact i we we openly shared uh, yeah. this is how we are doing it do it if you can come on right. and they didn't they would not do it they kept uh, they kept hiding behind fear so i couldn't do anything about it but you know we just went on ahead then by september october there was a a gradual diminishing of that right. and then in december the vaccine started rolling out and then uh, you know th the conversation shifted differently yeah uh, that that was among our peers you asked me about the peers in the patient population it was again a mixed bag the majority of patients they were fearful but when they saw how you we were doing the care willing to even come to their homes and care for them and still remain safe and 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 disease free they started really rising to the challenge and that 
increased our standing in the community a huge fold. Yeah. But there were also uh, uh, the, the, the difficult rhetoric about masking versus not masking, about uh, drugs, this, uh, whether it was ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine and or vaccines or about Anthony Fauci and so on and so forth. The problem was that it is not that those conversations were entirely wrong. There were all those conversations had a little kernel of truth in them. But the problem was the way it was being done, it was being blown out of proportion. And that was uh, unfortunate, but we just had to survive it and we kept educating as much as we can. And it worked. Most of them worked. Especially when you put your own life at stake, when you put your skin in the game, then yeah. people are willing to believe you. When you try to talk without putting any, anything of yourself at risk, then they won't believe you. Wow. Well, I, I love this. I love having this conversation with you. I, I'm assuming, I mean, you are definitely, I would say, an anomaly in your um, in your industry because, you know, most people jumped on the bandwagon. And for you to have, like, stayed open to help people is great. I personally was a non-masker, non-vaccine. Like, I just, I, I, I just was not buying it for me personally. But I, I support anybody who, whatever, it's all free will. We have free will. So... I just want people to stay healthy. Um, where where can people now? This active power. Do you sell that online, or is that only at your clinic? No, it's on it's online. It's activepower.com. The active is spelled without an e in it, so it's a c t i v p o w e r. Um, so, okay. And what else can people? Where else can people find you? Where can they purchase your book? Connect with you and learn more. Um, the Reaper's Dance is uh, look look it up on Amazon. The Reaper's Dance. You, you can look it up with my name, Ravi Iyer, I-Y-E-R, and you'll pull it up. I'm there. I have a Goodreads page. Uh, I have a channel. I'll put it up in the text so you can put it in the show notes later. Yes. Um, I have uh, an author website, so you can... Um, so then Active Power is... Uh, uh, and... But most importantly, uh, people can email me through those channels. I always reply. Okay. Um, and uh, you can follow me wherever. I, I'm writing on my next book. It's on neurodiversity. I have another another outlines of two more books in on paper that I had to flesh out. Uh, one is on one is on living free of diabetes and. And obesity, and the other is uh, and uh, secrets of Nana's kitchen, uh, my grandmother's kitchen, uh, small remedies that she would make for us. I probably would like those because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nana knows best. Oh my gosh! So I'm gonna put all your links in the show notes so you guys, if you connect with Dr. Ravi and you want to learn more and purchase his book and maybe purchase some of the active power. Uh, go follow him, go connect with him, send him an email. I'm sure he would love to talk with you, connect with you, and just have you be a part of his community or him be a part of yours as well. Um, Dr. Um, Ravi, this is the part of the show where I like to ask for last words of wisdom or advice. What would you like to leave with us today? There's only one purpose of life. Find out how you can contribute and then work to achieve it. That's all. Yeah, that was good. 
I, I really love that. That was some really deep words of wisdom that there's a lot of meaning behind that. Well, I'm interested in Nana's, um, her stuff in the kitchen. kitchen. I'm going to, I'm interested in that because I'm all about natural remedies. Okay. I'm sorry. That's just me. I'm, I'm one of those. Um, but Dr. Robbie, you are an enigma. You're fascinating. And I think that, yes, you following your path and just that intuitive path for yourself has been beautiful. And there's clearly a lot more for you to keep doing. So I'm going to keep an eye on you. Thank you so much for writing the book and all that you do. Thank you. You are welcome. You guys, this is your host, Deanna Radulescu with Label Free Podcast. To live your best life, you must live label free. As always, don't forget to subscribe, follow, rate, review, comment, share, all those good things. And I'll be back soon for more dynamic guests.